welcome to episode 73 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to dwell on the real-world implications of an intense game. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about games with serious themes. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, like Freedom the Underground Railroad and City of Gears. Then, we talk about games that have themes that are more emotionally intense than your average board game. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word important. And now, here are your hosts, Ambie and Crystal. One quick announcement before we hop into the main part of the episode, and that is in less than one week from the date of this episode releasing, we will be at Dice Tower West! Woohoo! So soon! So excited. So excited. So anyone of you who's listening to this, who is going to be at Dice Tower West in Las Vegas, please come find us. Say hi. Uh, We will have a few little pieces of board game blitz swag, potentially some dice, some pogs. Yes, you heard that right. Pogs, (laughs) like from the 90s. Uh, Maybe some badge ribbons and some stickers potentially as well. So if you want to get some board game blitz swag, come find us. And also if you want to play a game, uh, come find us as well. No promises on that front. Uh, We have a lot of scheduled events that we're doing uh, as part of the Dice Tower crew and also of my obligations to the con in general. (laughs) But we still want to say hi. So don't feel scared to approach us, even if we're in the middle of a game. We really like hearing from people and especially that they listen to the show. That means an awful lot to us. So please come tell us if you listen. I haven't played that many new games recently, but one game that I've played that I haven't talked about in the podcast before is Freedom the Underground Railroad, which is a 2012 game uh, designed by Brian Mayer and published by Academy Games. So Freedom the Underground Railroad is a cooperative game where you're trying to rescue slaves. There's, There's a map of the United States, Eastern United States, and there's Canada at the top and there's these little cubes that represent slaves and you're moving them across the map and you're working together to move them and get them to Canada and then it will be free. But there's these tokens that are slave conduct or slave catcher tokens and they go around and with if they move onto a space where there are slaves, then they have to go back down to the plantations in the south. And there's as the game goes on, more slaves come to the plantations. So it's a very heavy theme, uh, and it makes you think about like slavery, but you're trying to help them escape. But there's a trade-off between getting all of the slaves out, and you also need to build up money for a support, because in order to win, you have to get a certain number of slaves to escape, but also build up the support for the cause, which is spending money on these support tokens. And so you, there's a trade-off because sometimes you have to let some slaves get captured in order to get the support because you can't do everything at once. So it's kind of sad um, when when that happens because you want to save all of them, but you can't. Um, So yeah, we played that last night and it's a really good game. I think it's well-designed and it's a good game. We almost won, but we lost because to, if you don't win by the time the rounds end um, or if too many slaves get captured, then you lose the game. So it's very difficult. And there's also like all of these cards that have events that happen during the period that come out. So it's a historical game that can teach you about the history 
of what happened. Um, there's like actual events on the cards and in the rule book, there's some like history of it too. So that's Freedom, the Underground Railroad. I, I wanted to interject because I have some questions and some mm-hmm. thoughts, but I think it will actually go better in our thematic <laughs> discussion for today. Yeah. So I'm going to hold off. And that's why I didn't uh, question you about anything or like ask anything, because I'm very curious, but I, I'm going to wait till the thematic segment to mm-hmm. talk about it a little bit more. My recently played game is a little less serious, and that is City of Gears. City of Gears was originally published on the Game Crafter in 2012, and our sponsor, Gray Fox Games, brought it to mass market, publishing it in 2018. And as a disclosure, while Gray Fox Games is our sponsor, I am not required to talk about this game at all. I have chosen to because I want to, and I'm not requ- I'm not required to be positive about it either. Uh, although most of my thoughts are positive, you will hear at least a little bit of a uh, complaint I have about it, but I did want to talk about it because it pleasantly surprised me. So City of Gears is designed by Chris Leader of Leader Games fame, who publishes things like Vast and Root, and uh, Daryl Andrews, who is most famously known for Sagrada. In City of Gears, players are trying to get the most victory points, and they are doing that through um, mostly area control with a little bit of worker placement and almost some engine building. Um, The board is made up of a variety of variable tiles that form gear-shaped holes between them, Um, and then players are rolling dice to obtain gears and gain resources. And then they activate tiles that they have workers on, and then they get to move workers around the board. Uh, Anytime they get to obtain gears, they're drawn from a bag at random, and those gears can be used either as developments on their player board to give themselves extra powers, or to build links between tiles on the board. Uh, This one is very cool to look at, so I highly recommend people give this one a Google and look at how these tiles with the holes in them kind of get built and put together. It's very interesting. All of the tiles have special powers on them that you can activate and they're all different. So depending on how the game setup was at the beginning, it can cause for a very different kind of game experience based on what tiles were chosen at the beginning. And then also what gears get picked out of the bag affect things as well. Uh, When gears are placed onto the board, their powers are not visible. It's just your um, player token that covers them up to show that you built that gear. But then the ones that are added to your board as developed give you special powers and those are pretty unique. Um, So you're moving your workers around the board using the gears that you've placed of your own player color trying to gain a majority for each of the tiles. And the majority is controlled both by your gears that are next to a tile, as well as the workers that you have on it. So whoever has the most of a combination of those two things controls that tile and will score points for it at the end of the game. Ties are friendly, so you can also kind of help mitigate that by moving things around. There are some take that aspects um, in that you can move other players' gears potentially, or even move other players' workers based on what resources you roll or what powers you have. This one, I've only played it two-player so far, and it wasn't super antagonistic in a two-player game because we we had enough space to kind of spread out and do our own thing on our side of the board. But I imagine in a four-player game, things would be a little more hotly contested. I was surprised by how much I liked this, but I don't know why I was surprised. It kind of stems from the fact that, like, the steampunk theme doesn't elicit much for me in general. Like, I don't have really negative or positive feelings towards steampunk themes. And 
a city of gears. Like that doesn't, it doesn't like do anything for me by name or theme alone. So I don't think I had many expectations coming in, but this game was really fun to play and it's pretty quick to play as well, which I always enjoy. So that was nice. My one complaint that I mentioned at the top of the segment was that the gears, because they're so small, the powers listed on them are worded sometimes in not the clearest way and the tiles also have some powers on them that are not super clearly explained we ran into multiple instances where we would pick up a gear or look at a tile and go okay i kind of understand what that's telling me i can do but what about in this instance or if that happens there was always a little bit of confusion with most of them and i think that's kind of just because you've got a small space to work with and they couldn't be as elaborate as they wanted so i desperately needed a guide in the rule book or a supplement or something that just had a list of all of the tiles and a detailed explanation of what their powers do and the same thing for the gears this is what when the gear says this this is exactly what you can do with it and then there's a rule that says each development on your player board can only be activated once per turn but there are at least one or two gears where that rule doesn't make sense based on how they're worded and so again some confusion there that aside, I loved this, though. It was so much fun to play. Uh, I'm, I'm very glad that it's now in my collection, and I really recommend that you all t- check this out. It is more amusing, I think, than it looks, which is kind of weird to say. It doesn't look bad. It just doesn't look, you know, like it doesn't look exciting, <laughs> at least not to me. So if you're like me and it doesn't excite you on looks alone, give it a shot. Um, that is City of Gears from Gray Fox Games, our sponsor. For this week's thematic segment, we wanted to dig into something a little more serious than we typically do. Uh, Often our thematic discussions are around more lighthearted things like a list of silly games or things like that. And this week we wanted to discuss a trend that we've seen in board games recently that where board games are dealing with more serious or thoughtful issues. And this is not necessarily a new thing for board games, but I think it's becoming more prevalent recently. Mm-hmm. Or maybe more popular. But yeah, like as I mentioned and recently played, Freedom the Underground Railroad is a serious theme, but that came out in 2012, which is not that recent in board game terms. <laughs> Well, but what's interesting is I don't think you hear a lot of people talking about yeah. that game mm-hmm. regularly. Obviously, games like war games have existed for mm-hmm. a long time and been very popular. And games dealing with war are very serious at their nature, especially mm-hmm. if they're based on real world events. Because there are yes. games that are based on war that are set in a fictional or fantasy world. Twilight Imperium is a great mm-hmm. example <laughs> where... I would not consider that theme to be as serious simply because it's not set in the real world. Mm -hmm. But yeah, even with war games, I think a lot of the serious parts tend to be abstracted out because you're dealing with an over over world view. And so you're not there experiencing like the personal parts of the war. But then there's a game called The Grizzled that's about World War One. And in that game, you're not fighting the war. You're more trying to survive with your friends. It's a cooperative card game. So it's not like a war game. It's more you're just trying to play cards and get through the deck and survive. And so that I think that brings more of the serious aspect in the mechanics because you're 
a single person instead of controlling a big army. And your point about abstracting the details of a serious event kind of uh, leads me back to where I was thinking when you were discussing mm-hmm. Freedom the Underground Railroad earlier. Mm-hmm. It's, I think, board game designers and developers have a very tough job in how do you condense the aspects of a serious real world thing in a way without trivializing those Mm -hmm. things. Like when you were describing that the slaves in Freedom the Underground Railroad are cubes, Mm -hmm. it almost like made my heart ache a little bit because that game I've heard is, I've never played it, but I've heard that it is uh, a really good potentially educational tool in that it teaches you about the Underground Railroad and some very important aspects of American history. But Do you think, maybe not that game in particular, but do you think some games gloss over some of the worst parts of history when they try to put them into a board game? Um, Yeah, with Freedom, I think the, like, they're cubes because they don't want to, like, it's hard to deal with an issue without offending people too, because you, like, making them, well, everything in the game is like a cube and, like, the slave catchers are also like little discs, so that's abstracted out and you wouldn't you don't want to make it like super realistic like miniatures or something because that might like be too strong of feelings for someone I think but yeah with other games a lot of games I think that deal with matters that are serious like colonialization you're playing as a as the person doing a horrible thing and it's very abstracted out where you're just colonizing things and building up cities and it kind of just ignores other things that happened yeah i i am one of the people who is incredibly bothered by games with colonialization or colonization as a theme mostly because of what you said that they they only look at the point of view of the person who is doing the colonizing they don't dig into the actual effects of that things like spreading disease pushing other people out of their homes uh effects to nature and wildlife like there are a whole bunch of factors at play that get glossed over and not treated with a seriousness that i think they deserve and it's one of the reasons that i actually really appreciate the theme of Spirit Island, which Mm -hmm. technically is set in a fantasy world Mm -hmm. um, to some degree, but it has a lot of real world grounded aspects in that um, you are playing as these mythical spirits that um, help, you know, watch over an island. And when colonizers come in, you are trying to drive them away. And obviously there are a lot of cultures here in the real world who believe in uh, spiritual and mythical beings and have for, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. So while technically this is fantasy in that, you know, you don't, we've never actually seen a water god here in this modern age, for instance, it's, it's, it's grounded in a way that I think a lot of fantasy games aren't. Mm-hmm. And it looks at the bad things that can come from people's actions and helps negate them. I don't know. I, I, have yeah. still, I still haven't played Spirit Island and I really want to. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a good game. Uh, but yeah, Spirit Island is a great example of how a theme can be completely fantasy theme, but also still be a serious and have like serious things about it because it's grounded in reality even though it's a fantasy theme. 
And then there are games that are fully grounded in reality Mm -hmm. that also can elicit some very strong emotions. Uh, One that I've discussed on the show before pretty recently was Holding On, The Troubled Mm -hmm. Life of Billy Kerr, which is about providing palliative care to a person at the end of their life. And all of the aspects of the game and the story are very grounded in real life. It is about providing for a person's physical and mental needs at the end of their life. Mm-hmm. And the I was I'm surprised because the mechanics and the gameplay itself are not super connected to the theme, but the story on the cards and the artwork elicits some really strong emotions. So I think that it was very thoughtfully designed to do that, and I appreciate it for that. It really, like, why, as we're playing and we discover little bits and pieces about Billy Kerr's life, it almost feels like we know him. And uh, I believe the designers did use real-world stories um, to help craft Billy Kerr. He's not a real person, but he's kind of pieced together from real stories. Mm-hmm. And you can tell because there is a real a believability to his story that helps you connect to it. Yeah. Then you've also got games that deal with serious things that are not war or death, games that deal with relationships. Uh, You've got not a whole lot of them in this genre. We've got everything from abstract games like And Then We Held Hands, which is really a fully abstract game, but can create some interesting uh, emotional moments. Mm -hmm. Fog of Love, which I've discussed before, which has a lot of lighthearted and funny moments, but also can have some really serious and intense moments as well. And even stuff like Consentacle, which is an adult-themed game, but it's about the idea of consent within a relationship. And it does it in a fantasy setting, which I think kind of helps make it a little easier for some people to take because if it was entirely real world, I think it might be a little too close to home, but because they've fantasized it a little bit, I think it makes it more approachable. But I, uh, I'm, I was fascinated. I read an article about this game and if you are someone who is not averse to playing an, a very adult themed game, Consentacle is one to look into because the designers really made some interesting um, and thoughtful decisions while they were designing that game. So why do some games with serious themes feel serious while you're playing them and others don't? As an example, Pandemic, which is a very popular board game and is dealing with an incredibly serious issue, literally pandemics of multiple diseases spreading throughout the world and killing off humanity. That's an incredibly serious issue. Mm -hmm. But when I'm playing Pandemic, it does not feel that intense, that serious, that emotional for me. And I imagine most people are the same way. Why do you think that is? What is what is it that takes a game from just a serious topic to actually eliciting emotions? I think part of it might be the scale. Because in a lot of the games we mentioned, it's more focused on one person and like one person's feelings. Whereas Pandemic is the whole world and you're just saving everyone And so it's like a big scale, whereas when you're focused on one person, you can relate more with their feelings and like feel like you're actually that person, maybe. Ooh, I think that's actually a really good point because regular pandemic 
It's kind of one and done. You just play mm -hmm. it, you're done. And while you do have a character that you are technically portraying, you don't really have a chance to get to know the person that you mm -hmm. are. Whereas in Pandemic Legacy, mm -hmm. I think yeah. they actually do a better job of getting you connected to the theme because yeah. you keep playing as the same characters. Yeah. They grow, they change, you get to know them. And uh, this is not a spoiler for Pandemic Legacy <laughs> season one or two, but your characters can die. And I, there was a moment in season one where the character I had been playing for almost the entire game died. And it was deeply emotional for me. Mm -hmm. I was shocked at how much it bothered me when my yeah. character died. Yeah. So yeah, I think like just being attached to the one person makes it way more emotional for us. <laughs> yeah. I, building a strong emotional connection to some aspect of the game or some character from the game, mm -hmm. I think is, is a really way, good way to help connect a gamer to the game's subject, topic, or gameplay. Mm -hmm. And I'm very happy that board game designers and publishers are starting to play in this space a little bit more and explore themes that I think traditionally would have been seen as unapproachable in the board mm -hmm. game space. Yeah. Uh, we would love to hear from some of you all. Uh, we obviously did not mention every board game that has a serious theme. Uh, Ambie and I, for instance, do not know a lot about many war games because that's not a genre of games that we tend to play in. So if you have a favorite game that has a serious theme that has given you some really strong feels at some point, uh, let us know what that is because we would love to see more of these come out. But we know that there are others that we haven't played before. So feel free to tweet at us or send us an email. Um, um, or post in our Board Game Geek Guild on the thread for this episode. For this week's etymology segment, I'm going to dive into the history of the word important. The English word important originated in the mid-15th century and came from a Middle French word of the same spelling. That word can be traced back to the medieval Latin words importatum, which meant momentous, and importare, which meant be significant in. That word was also used in regular Latin to mean bring in, convey, or bring from abroad. So how did a word that originally meant to bring in or carry turn in to something that meant momentous? Well, it seems that the physical act of carrying eventually just transformed into the more metaphorical act of carrying a lot of meaning or significance. Hence, the word is now used to describe things that carry a lot, but just not in a physical sense. I know the etymology segment has been missing for a few episodes while we weren't working in our usual format. Did you miss it while it was gone? Are you glad it's back? We'd love to hear your feedback if you have thoughts about this segment or any other parts of the show. Send us an email at boardgameblitz at gmail.com to let us know what you think. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Board Game Geek Guild. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. Tsukuyumi Full Moon Down, an asymmetrical no-luck board game, will be on Kickstarter soon, so make sure you're following Gray Fox Games on Twitter to know when it launches. Gray Fox Games, quality games, cleverly crafted. Loving the show? Please rate and review us on iTunes or your podcast provider, or become a patron. Patrons get access to unedited episodes, our private Slack channel, and more for as little as $1 a month. Head to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz to become a patron today. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is part of the Dice Tower Network. 
Until next time, power of games are getting drawn out. Make one gal think, make another gal shout. Bye, everyone. Bye. Before we head into the main episode, just one quick announcement. This the nope, nope, nope. <laughs> I was going to say this week, and that seems silly. I, we're not a weekly podcast. <laughs> Um, I think the board game industry, I, I said a big um there. That was like the biggest um in the world. <laughs> I was getting so good at removing them. And that was like the largest um. <laughs> I'm going to start over. Uh, alliteration, alliteration, alliteration. <laughs> Last week, we asked you to retheme a human pyramid game that you can play at a gambling spot that prefers paper money. What game was that, Ambi? That was Cash Casino Castell. This was one of the first times, I think, since we started these puzzles, where I got a response from somebody where none of the words was correct. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. I actually got a message from somebody where they had three entirely different words, and then they immediately figured it out. But it was funny because <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> but uh, I like that they, uh, they, they translated the meaning a little bit differently, and that was pretty cool. So this week, uh, again, the answer is going to be three words, all starting with the same letter. We are asking you to retheme a tree growing game for animals who are pretending to be mythological birds. Good luck, everyone. <laughs>